we have heard that it's not you have your baby and search for daycare. It's you need to search for daycare before you almost before you know you're pregnant. So it became really stressful to manage getting the childcare uh, assistance and then finding a center that had a spot that also accepted the assistance. Um, and it was just a double wait. Out of 72 people that I called on that list, which I do call every one of them, three people had openings for infant care. We want other people to start searching before we did, I think. That's the goal of this, right? Holy cow. It's rough out there for Colorado parents on the hunt for early childhood care and preschool, but it doesn't have to stay that way. My name's Will Holden, and this is Better Beginnings. With respect to Worth Bird, who you'll meet soon, the goal here is not to get people to start their child care search earlier, like before they even know they're pregnant. The goal here is to explore how we can create a better early childhood system one that makes our existing preschool and childcare search woes a distant memory. On today's episode, we're gonna give you a history lesson on our early childhood system. We'll start with some of the earliest documented instances of childcare, which pop up during the Industrial Revolution. We'll take a moment to recall a time when we actually had free universal childcare in the US and why it disappeared. And we'll provide some context as to why we've ended up with a system that makes finding childcare in preschool such a struggle for basically every family in Colorado. Our state also has some of the highest fees and tuition rates in the country for childcare and preschool. A lot of folks end up needing financial aid, so we'll explain how to find out if you qualify for that. Last but not least, we'll introduce you to the aforementioned Worth and his wife, Brooke. They're expecting a child in July. Over the course of this podcast, we're going to follow their search for childcare. Along the way, we'll give you tips on how to navigate Colorado's early childhood system as it exists today, and we'll also tell you about a bill aiming to improve it and what that means for your family. As I said, my name's Will, and I'm the Director of Communications and Storytelling at Gary Community Ventures, and this is a special edition podcast on navigating Colorado's complex early childhood system. It's being produced by our organization's certified B Corp, known as Gary Ventures, in support of the Coalition for Better Beginnings. It's our goal to help all Colorado kids and families gain the same access to opportunity. And we're a long ways away from being able to say our early childhood system provides access to opportunity for all kids and families. How we go about finding early care and education options in Colorado for our kids from birth to five, it's complicated, to say the least. And there's not even a clear answer about where you begin that process. Can you start the search online? Do you have to physically call or drive to centers to check them out? Can you go to your school district, your county, or even the federal government for help? The answer to all those questions is yes, and oftentimes no. Early care and education is expensive, too. As of 2022, the average cost for infant care in Colorado was around $1,300 a month. In Denver Public Schools, the cost to provide preschool as of 2018 was $1,250 per month per child for full day and $625 per month per child for half day. DPS is able to provide tuition rates below that cost because of additional funding sources. That includes the Colorado Preschool Program, Head Start, and the Denver Preschool Program. We'll get to that whole mess of funding streams soon. But right now, what you need to know is that Colorado is one of the few states in the country where the cost of early childhood services is more than $1,000 a month. And that puts early childhood services out of reach for many. That's tragic. But it's not just low-income families who are struggling with this system. It also doesn't seem to matter if you've got lots of times to look for care, or if you live somewhere besides the crowded, competitive Denver market. 
It's basically a guarantee that you're going to run into issues as you search for early childhood care and education options in Colorado, regardless of your circumstances. My wife and I understand this dilemma all too well. One evening, Peppa and George are... Tootie. It's almost... Tootie time. But the little piggies are not... Tootie. Can we... That's my daughter. She's two now. And that's her recently discovering the word tootie. Thanks a lot, Peppa Pig. There's lots of laughs now, but there were a lot of tears as we searched for childcare options for that first quarter of this little goofball's life. We spent hundreds of dollars to get on wait lists. We toured 12 care sites. And after seven months, we finally got a spot. But here's the thing. Our story is not unique, and many other parents' stories don't have happy endings. That's causing major issues, not just for kids and families, but for our economy. It's so tough to get childcare and preschool slots, in fact, that many parents are deciding to quit their jobs and stay home with their kids. That squeezes an already tight workforce. And speaking of workforces, our childcare workforce has been hit especially hard by the pandemic, with many providers choosing to walk away from the low salaries and high stress that come with working in our complicated early childhood system. These are big problems, right? And we know we're not going to solve them overnight. But we know we've got to try. And there's some good news on that front. Thanks to the efforts of literally thousands in our early childhood sector and beyond, there's a bill in front of our state lawmakers in the 2022 legislative session to create a new Department of Early Childhood. And we're hoping it can be the kind of one-stop shop for all childhood services that our state has needed for decades, if not centuries. Here at Gary Ventures, we're particularly proud of the work that's gone into this bill because it follows in the footsteps of our founders, Sam and Nancy Gary. You, you can't have a successful business in a failing society. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, philanthropy um, you know, really needs to be far better business-oriented. That's Sam. He and Nancy have always believed that the business, policy, and philanthropy sectors can, and should, work together to find innovative solutions to our biggest problems. And they've already helped come up with one pretty powerful, local solution to our early childhood system woes. Early childhood is particularly important to look at because it's a time where the foundations are built for all of the things that a society cares about, from educational achievement, economic productivity, lifelong physical and mental health, uh, responsible citizenship, um, and the ability to be effective parents for the next generation. All of that has its roots in early childhood. That's Jack Shonkoff. Back in 2000, Sam and Nancy were looking at studies like the one that he led called Neurons to Neighborhoods, which was published by the National Academy of Sciences. Now since replicated many times, this report strongly suggests the years from birth to five are some of the most important in a child's life. We now know kids who attend quality preschool programs have significantly better long-term economic, health, and social outcomes. Sam and Nancy also knew these types of preschool programs were expensive. And in 2000, more than one-fifth of Denver residents were making between $18,000 and $34,000 a year, which put high-quality preschool squarely out of reach for many. So how do you solve a problem that big? Enter the Denver Preschool Program. You couldn't have just any kind of education. It really needed to be quality. For some people who didn't have any money to be able to afford it, it was a true blessing. That's Anna Jo Haynes. She's a pioneer in the Colorado early childhood sector. 
In fact, there's an early childhood center named for her in Denver. Working in conjunction with her and a young mayor named John Hickenlooper, Sam and Nancy helped convene a coalition of business, civic, and education leaders to form the recommendations for a new early childhood education program in Denver. They wanted this new program to be independent of the city government so that it could move quickly and innovate quickly. They also wanted this program to include mechanisms that would hold it accountable to elected leaders and to taxpayers. And to Anna Jo's point, they wanted this program to focus on creating more high-quality preschool programs, incorporating new and existing funding streams to help empower all Denver families to be able to find quality early childhood education programs. When they took this idea to Denver voters, it passed, even though it included a tax hike famously unpopular in Colorado. Thanks to the program's success, Denver voters renewed it in 2006. Since then, Denver residents have paid 12 cents on every $100 purchase, and more than 50,000 Denver kids have gained access to high-quality preschool programs as a result. So when the opportunity presented itself to expand this type of program to all Colorado kids in 2020, Sam and Nancy didn't hesitate. This November, Coloradans have a chance to make a difference for every four-year-old in the state. You can vote yes on Proposition EE to fund universal free preschool by increasing taxes on cigarettes and addictive vaping products. That's actress Jennifer Garner in an ad from the Yes on Proposition EE campaign. Like the Denver Preschool Program, Gary Ventures was a major funder of this campaign. The ballot measure, at its heart, called for a 5.5 cent tax on flavored nicotine products to fund universal pre-K in Colorado. And it passed with 66% of the vote. That's pretty overwhelming support, again, in a state that famously hates tax hikes. And that's why we're here today. Proposition EE mandated the creation of a new universal preschool program. Shortly thereafter, House Bill 1304 called for one department to oversee all early childhood services in Colorado which was appropriately dubbed the Colorado Department of Early Childhood. And as we mentioned earlier, how that department will operate is being debated by state lawmakers as they consider House Bill 22-1295 in the 2022 legislative session. We're not really sure where the debate on this bill will be when this podcast reaches you, but it's worth mentioning some of the things we hope the bill delivers. As of right now, this bill aims to create one universal, accountable preschool program one that would offer more hours of care and education to low-income families who need them. This bill also aims to create a new statewide department for all early childhood programs, making it a true one-stop shop for families and providers. And perhaps most importantly, this bill aims to create one universal application for all early childhood services. In other words, we might finally have one clear place to start this process. So as our lawmakers consider this bill, we're very humbled to be able to bring you the story of one family currently searching for childcare in our existing system, just to help us illuminate the problems that this new Department of Early Childhood must help us solve. My name is Worth Bird. I'm an eligibility worker with Denver Human Services Family and Adult Assistance Division. My day-to-day is uh, working with five to six different clients um, and helping them apply and navigate the process of application for various public assistance programs. My name is Brooke Bird, and I am the director of the Denver Anti-Trafficking Alliance. Um, And I do a lot of program management and task force development, have a lot of collaborations and communications with various law enforcement and service providers throughout the city of Denver. Okay, so just to make it clear, one half of this power couple is protecting our kids from predators. 
The other half is helping our most vulnerable populations get what they need to stand on their own two feet. If navigating our early childhood system is a struggle for these two, whose job descriptions literally include helping others navigate government systems, imagine how tough it is for families who don't have that kind of experience. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's find out how Brooke and Worth became expecting parents in the first place. So we both have backgrounds working in residential care. We actually met at work, um, working with uh, at-risk youth. She moved in a couple blocks up the street from me, so I would help her break into her house when she forgot her keys. <laughs> and uh, You give me rides to work. I didn't have a car at first. Right. So. All right. This is a podcast about child care and preschool. But before we get into that, let's level set quickly about the type of child welfare work that Brooke and Worth are describing. Residential care facilities are no picnic. They're often the last stop for the most vulnerable youth in our child welfare system. These are kids who've likely experienced severe abuse, neglect, and trauma. Residential care facilities are meant to provide these kiddos with a place to live and receive the care and treatment they need. That means the folks who work at these centers have to be prepared to meet kids wherever they may be 24-7. Brooke says Worth had a knack for this kind of work. One of the things I really fell in love with Worth about was the way he interacted with those kids when we worked in the residential care facility. He's just got this great energy and excitement and happiness, and um, it, it was just, he just seems like he was meant to be a dad. One quick Red Rocks marriage and one global pandemic later, wouldn't you know it, Brooke and Worth are now married and they're expecting their first kid. And along with that joy comes the search for childcare. We both know that we're working parents um, and and that we will need to rely on another party for either part-time care or full-time care for our, our child once, once he gets here. We have heard that it's not you have your baby and search for daycare, it's you need to search for daycare before you, almost before you know you're pregnant. Um, so we, I mean, I knew the stories years ago, even before COVID um, impacted childcare, um, and I, it's my understanding that it's worse. When we spoke with the birds for this interview, it was March 1st. Their babies due on July 1st. They're planning to get creative with their respective maternity and paternity leaves, but they need to be back at work by October 1st. That means they need to find care by then. As my seven-month search for childcare shows, that could be cutting it close. And through their first month of searching, the stress is already starting to get real for Brooke and Worth. So I think we're going to be right on that cusp of having to maybe be on the wait list still for daycares mm-hmm. while also having to report back to the office. So we're very nervous about that. We want other people to start searching before we did, I think. That's the goal of this, right? <sighs> There's that line again. We hate that this has been the experience for the birds. And we definitely don't want it to be the reality that families have to accept. But it definitely is the reality of the system we currently have. So how did we wind up here? To understand how the search for childcare became this complicated, we first have to understand how it began. Unfortunately for American families, it's not a long and storied history. We can, however, trace the idea of childcare as a needed service in the U.S. pretty far back. In the late 19th century, we first start to see documented cases of this phenomenon. The Industrial Revolution was hitting a fever pitch, and during this time, institutions called settlement houses were established to provide services in low-income communities. 
Those houses often include nurseries to keep the children of factory workers safe while their mothers went off to work. The idea of childcare as a publicly funded service? That didn't take root until almost 100 years later, in the World War II era. Sally Herships and Darian Woods with NPR's Planet Money podcast explain. To fight this war, 10 million more people must go to work by the end of 1943. Today, employment offices are deserted. For every machinist available, for example, 22 are needed. So the federal government put out a public message, a plea for help, really, on posters and newsreels. With every man utilized, we are still short millions of hands. We must call upon women. Women! (laughs) For the time, it was a pretty unusual move. And then something even more, quote-unquote, unusual happened. The American government created its first ever national subsidized daycare program. That's right. This actually happened. Who knew? Well, now you know. That's right. Government-sponsored universal daycare was actually a thing in 1942, thanks to these federally subsidized war nurseries. On their way to work, parents left their hopefuls at one of the nursery schools. The 50-cent daily fee included mid-morning and afternoon nourishment as well as a hot, balanced lunch. Congress contorted an existing law to provide funding for this full-day, year-round childcare service, which was offered six days a week for hundreds of thousands of working families. Sounds pretty great, right? Chris Herbst researches public policy and childcare at Arizona State University. He told the Planet Money team this universal daycare program was, in fact, pretty great for the kids who participated. Outcome after outcome after outcome, they did better than their counterparts who did not participate in the program. They were more likely to be employed. When they were working, they were more likely to be employed full-time. Their earnings were higher. They were less likely to receive uh, cash assistance. And uh, they appeared to be in better health as well. So fortunately for the U.S. and the world, the war eventually ends. Unfortunately for kids and families, this fledgling, promising, universal childcare program ended along with it. For what it's worth, the program was always meant to be a temporary wartime fix. And the federal funding dried up in 1946. That's right around the time that women were encouraged to give up their jobs to provide employment for men who were returning home from war. Fast forward 20 years, you know, 20 years of families toiling with patchwork early childhood care and education options, and the U.S. first starts to begin noticing it has a poverty problem. It's pretty crazy to note that the U.S. didn't start collecting data on poverty until 1959. But that's another story for another day. It's clear, however, that the early returns on this data weren't good. And that prompted this watershed moment in our nation's childcare history. And this administration today, here and now, declares unconditional war on poverty in America. Lyndon B. Johnson declared a war on poverty in 1965, and with it, the Head Start program was established. It created part-time preschool programs for low-income families with care and education for kids between three and five years old. And 1965 is exactly where we'll pick up our story today, because that's where Steph Clothier believes the problems with our existing early childhood system began. Well, I think the siloing and the fragmentation has been there for the last 50 years. (laughs) Steph is our director of school readiness at Gary Ventures. She's a lawyer, a community organizer, a tireless activist, and she's been working on early childhood issues since the Clinton administration. Here's an abridged history she gave us. We begin our story in 1965 with Head Start, which was federal funding for preschool. 
our state got in on the act by establishing the Colorado Preschool Program in 1988, which added local funding for preschool. Federal child care funding for low-income families came along in 1990, and it was expanded in 1996. That funding is distributed locally as part of the Colorado Child Care Assistance Program, or CCAP for short. That funding has since been expanded a few additional times. Okay, here's the long and short of it. The fact that our early childhood system is fragmented and complicated is a reality we've lived with basically since the idea of early childhood care and education became a thing. But enough history lessons. What does it all mean if you're trying to get financial assistance in Colorado for child care or preschool in 2022? If you need financial assistance and your child is younger than three, you go to the state and you apply for the Colorado Child Care Assistance Program, or CCAP for short. To do this, you'll work through your county because they're the ones who administer state programs. If you need financial assistance and your child is older than three, one option is to work through the federally funded and locally administered Head Start program. The other option is to work through the Colorado Preschool Program, which is administered by the Colorado Department of Education via folks in your school district's office. It's worth noting CCAP, Head Start, and the Colorado Preschool Program all have different regulations and applications that families must submit to. Seems simple enough, right? Well, we talked to one mom who tried to navigate this system. Going through that application process was a beast of its own. That's Jess Adkins. She's a mother of two, an entrepreneur, and a community organizer who works with Steph and our team at Geary. That application process was not intuitive, and I was a young mom. Um, and so understanding that what I was agreeing to, um, being able to fill out the application, having all of the forms that I need, and um, really putting a lot of my vulnerabilities out there, um, was just the first step. After submitting her application for assistance, Jess said there was an undisclosed waiting time to find out if she was eligible. During that time, she began trying to find childcare centers that would accept her potential assistance package. It was at that time she found that many of those childcare centers had wait lists themselves. And so you actually have a wait to the wait. So it became really stressful to, to manage getting um, the childcare uh, assistance and then finding a center that had a spot that also accepted the assistance. Um, and it was just a double wait. Eventually, Jess became one of those parents who decided to forego our early childhood system altogether. She got a job at a child care provider so she could access affordable care when she needed it. But what about families who don't need financial assistance? Is our early childhood system any easier to navigate for them? As we've mentioned, the short answer is not necessarily. Take Crystal Klinger and her family. She places ads for KRDO-TV and radio stations in Colorado Springs. And her boyfriend Daryl does well too. They're not rich, but they're getting by. They're doing just well financially. Even still, Crystal will admit that her throat tightened when she found out the average cost of infant care in Colorado, which again, is around 1300 bucks a month. The sticker shock was, was definitely a hard punch. Um, it, was, it was quite more expensive than we thought it would be. You're kind of inundated at that moment of, okay, what do I look for? Do I go for a child care center? Do I look for a home daycare? Do you know, I look for somebody who's licensed? Do I look for somebody who I know that takes care of children? Do I do a nanny? Um, there's, it's a very overwhelming feeling. Um, but, you know, it's a very vital part of, you know, us having the child, so you've got to figure out a way to make it work. Crystal started her search where many Colorado families eventually end up, which is a website called coloradoshines.com. This is the quality rating and improvement system for all of Colorado's licensed early care and learning programs, serving kids ages 0 to 5. 
Colorado Shines is run by the Colorado Department of Human Services, and it exists to rate the quality of Colorado's licensed child care and preschool programs, help those programs improve, and illuminate to families the programs in their area that are committed to providing quality services for kids. Crystal was directed to Colorado Shines after her son Rylan was diagnosed with aspiration shortly after he was born. Aspiration? It's literally when you swallow and something goes down the wrong tube. In Rylan's case, it meant all the liquid and food he was consuming was entering his airway and his lungs. Scary stuff. And that meant he had to have a feeding tube inserted. Rylan's doctors gave Crystal a list of 72 early childhood care providers rated by Colorado Shines as being able to offer the type of care that Rylan needed. And I thought, oh, you know, this is great. It'll give us plenty of opportunity to explain our story. Surely, out of 72 people, you know, we'll have some pretty good options. You know where this is going. Out of 72 people that I called on that list, which I did call every one of them, um, three people had openings for infant care. I couldn't believe how hard it would be just to find infant care, let alone that for a special needs child. Crystal's story does have a happy ending. One of the three care providers was Stacy Busby, who runs Let's Monkey Around Preschool Early Care and Education out of her home in Colorado Springs. She has a five-star Colorado Shines rating, which is the highest mark a provider can achieve. But Stacy explained that many in-home child care providers forego the Colorado Shines rating system entirely. It's too cumbersome a process, she says, especially if you want to attain higher ratings. Wait, what? So let's get this straight. Our current system delivers a bad experience for kids and families, but it also delivers a bad experience for many providers. Once again, we went to Steph to explain how we got here. I don't think there's a particular reason why it's just a bad experience for everyone, except that nobody's talking to each other, right? So if we had decided at the beginning that we were gonna just make all the rules the same across the different systems, that would have made it easier for families, right? They'd know what they were eligible for, They'd know what requirements they had. So what documents do I have to produce for this program versus that program? Where do I have to go to do it? Do I have to go to my school? Do I have to go to the county? Do I have to find a provider somehow online? Like, so all of those both entry points and then um, you know, who administers the program have made those things harder. So here we are, some 220 years since the Industrial Revolution, which is when we first began pondering our need for early childhood care and education, there's still no clear answer to the question, where do I go to get it? And that brings us back to the birds. As government employees, they know all too well how our systems can get siloed. And speaking of their employment, they know they make too much money to qualify for financial assistance. They've heard childcare search horror stories with far uglier endings than crystals in mine. And they now know there may well be good early childhood providers who they'll miss out on because they're not even participating in our current system. So what do you do if you're Brooke and Worth? Again, we spoke with them on March 1st, and they're hoping to find care by October 1st. After meeting with several childcare providers, there's some good news about that October 1st date, according to Worth. That's when a lot of the uh, daycares are reporting that they start to have availability. But I mean, we need to pull the trigger like right now. There's a problem with that, though. Even though Brook and Worth have found several childcare centers they like, and even though several of those centers have open slots on October 1st, they have wait lists for those slots. That's not exactly news, but this is. From where they sat on March 1st, the birds weren't even able to pay the fees needed to get on those wait lists. Why? You have to go tour the facility first, and so we are on a wait list for the wait list. So um, we can't tour one of our facilities until the 14th. 
even though we know there's availability potentially, we can't even get on the waitlist yet. A waitlist to the waitlist. Yikes. Next time on Better Beginnings. Join us as we join the birds for their first tour of a child care center. They've got their fingers crossed that this tour will help them get off that first wait list. And they've got a lot of questions for their potential early child care provider, as do many Colorado parents. What types of child care options should you consider? What should you look for in a quality care education provider? How many wait lists is the average Colorado on before they get a spot? And how hard is it for providers to create and sustain a quality early childhood program in our existing system? We'll answer those questions next time, and we'll continue to ponder our own question about Colorado's early childhood system. How do we make it better? Gary Ventures is proud to support the Coalition for Better Beginnings and all those invested in creating a simpler, more equitable early childhood system for Colorado families and providers. There's a huge list of mighty allies behind this campaign, and we'd be here like all day if we were to give them all the recognition they deserve. But we do want to give special thanks to the Colorado Children's Campaign, who have taken a vital leadership role in this coalition. Special thanks is also due to Clayton Early Learning Center, one of the premier early childhood service providers in Denver. They helped us track down Crystal Klinger for this podcast. Speaking of whom, thanks enough can never be provided to Crystal, as well as Brooke Bird, Worth Bird, and Jess Atkins for sharing their family stories with us. They've been so courageous in speaking out about our need for a better early childhood system, and it's our privilege to be able to share their stories with you. Our executive producers on this podcast are Sharice Harris, Damian Lee Natale, Mike Johnston, and Steph Clothier. You heard Steph on this episode, and we can't thank her enough for lending us her infinite wisdom. Armand Piku and the talented team at Center Table edit this podcast and produce all the original music. Last but not least, Algernon Ferlis Jr. is my storytelling partner in crime and our magnanimous producer of all media at Gary Ventures. Literally, none of this happens without him. See you next time.